the VCG podcast is sponsored by Forget Me Not Flowers and Gifts in Barrie, Vermont. Forget Me Not Flowers and Gifts is at a new location on Main Street. So check them out if you're looking for flowers or gifts for someone in your life. Welcome to the Chaotic Goodcast, our weekly geeky roundtable. I'm your host, Doug Shute, and with me are my fellow casters, Ben Higgins from Quarterstaff Games. Roll initiative, everyone. Artist, illustrator of StoryComic.com, Barney Smith. It's not a rhinoceros, it's a battle unicorn. The Geek of the North, Jason Hunt. In fact, I do know Bob from Canada. And tonight we have our special guest caster, Steven Dutzman from Engage Family Gaming. The contract did not include me bringing a catchphrase. I'm sorry, I should have warned you in advance. All right, before we start in, let's go to New at the Store. Ben, take it away. So this week, I didn't really have a whole lot of new stuff to highlight but i wanted to talk about just how crazy role-playing games are with our college kids the universities and colleges around quarterstaff games are teeming with role players nowadays and we've been having a hard time keeping books and and all the the accessories mostly dice in stock so i went hunting for some new dice to bring into the store and I found a great deal in the new dice from Tasty Minstrel Games. Now, they're a, a board game company that is apparently dipping their toes in dice distribution here. Uh, they've got probably a couple of dozen different styles that they're working on. They're good quality. And best of all, they are pretty inexpensive when it comes to prices. They are coming a little under Chessex, which is one of the big names in the industry right now. And uh, also, it, they, they've just got some really cool kind of packaging and, and catchphrases. They've really tried to have fun with it and keep the names for their different style dice very whimsical. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, this is the first time I've I've heard that Tasting Minstrel has a, a dice line. That's that's interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, they're definitely right on on scale with the quality of dice that we're seeing out of uh, uh, what are a few of the other ones we're dealing with. We have metallic dice games. We have Chessex. We have a serious dice. So they're they're good quality dice and they're they're coming in at a price point that is fantastic for for school kids and who don't you know maybe not having full-time jobs and everything uh, and, yeah. and and foreign canadian people yeah foreign, <laughs> foreign canadian people too who can no oh, longer actually... afford the exorbitant shipping and handling costs from america <laughs> hey most of the dice come out of china nowadays not that that helps no, with, with tariffs yeah, that are I'm going sure, into effect. i'm sure that the dice will get snagged by the tariffs yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. That's that's a uh, a bit of news that that kind of came out the last week or so. Um, Jason, you kind of threw this uh, into our uh, Facebook chat that we have going on throughout the week uh, uh, that we have between all of us. Uh, you said that the 
uh, starting October 1st, there's going to be some tariff changes, correct? Yeah. Um, a basic across the board 15% tariff is going to go into effect for almost all printed materials coming out of China. And that is where a lot of your Kickstarters have their books printed. So you can guarantee, you can be guaranteed that a lot of existing Kickstarters that have already funded and are just awaiting fulfillment are going to take a big hit on this. And it's really going to hurt the smaller ones too. Like the larger companies that are, you know, more veteran Kickstarters, they're not going to see this as badly as an impact, but it's going to be your small companies that are just trying to, you know, offer you a product with like a bare minimum margin kind of thing. That's going to ruin their margins. And like, I'm hoping that none of them fail as a result, but in future, you're going to see a, a probably on average a 15% price hike in every Kickstarter that gets launched. If, if they can even afford to continue doing business out of China, because that's just the products, not that's not even including like uh, add-ons and stuff like that. Like if you if you were in an RPG and you're getting dice with it, that's going to have a fifteen percent markup as well. Wow, yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, you have to think that that even if you didn't factor this in, or if maybe you factored in a Kickstarter that completed before that October 1st deadline, but somehow got delayed, yeah. all of a sudden that's 15% that you're going to have to tack on that you weren't yeah, expecting. That's exactly. And that's like, you know, like I said, most, a lot of Kickstarters, um, they're just want to get their product out there so that they can maybe get some traction and get some more business going. Um, so they're really not, like there's their margins are not built to provide a lot of profit it's more about let's get our quality product into people's hands and the product will speak for itself right. so asking them to take a 15 percent hit like if you look at some kickstarters that fund for like ten thousand dollars or whatever add another 15 percent to that bottom line and that's brutal like that's that's people not being able to take any money out of it for themselves to cover like rent and and wages and stuff yeah, yeah. You, you might actually even see some of these Kickstarters go back to their people and be like, hey, um, can you throw us an extra $10, $15 so that we can get these books in your hands? Um, yeah, it's just it's not a good time if you collected the money before the tariffs, but you're not going to deliver until after the tariffs. It's it, it's it's going to hurt. Do you see a lot of um, opportunities for Kickstarters to just do a uh, just really get a pretty heavy uh what's the word i'm trying to, what, like a lot of it just more more digital downloads and just kind of you'll see a lot of those kickstars kind of focusing a lot more heavy on people just getting the pdfs instead of buying physical copies i would imagine for sure um even for me before the before the tariffs there's lots of kickstarters that i back where i would love to get the physical versions but like i said I mean, I, I joke about it a lot, but the shipping and handling to Canada often ruins the value for me. Um, like on, on average role-playing book, like the size of the D&D &D player's handbook, on average shipping to Canada for that book to me is going to be $25 to $30. Mm. So if you add another 15% on top of that, um, like I, I even mentioned this to, uh, to Doug earlier, it's going to put me in a position where I literally cannot justify spending that extra money like as beautiful as your product might be i'll take the pdf and be happy with it because i just i can't afford it could this also open up opportunities for um i don't know, like backdoor companies that aren't going to get affected by the tariffs like what's stopping somebody that's someone like you or i that lives in london to 
open up and, and do a be a publishing, but they actually get all their stuff from China, but they cover themselves as being a publishing house in say London or, or France or Spain or someplace like that. Um, I think the thing, the thing with that is a lot of companies are already looking at fulfillment centers and that sort of thing in other countries. Um, like even uh, big time people like the folks at critical role, they have a UK fulfillment warehouse now. So I'm wondering if these tariffs are basically being levied on the United States. What if they divert their product from China to London straight away and they doesn't come through the States, then they right. ship from the UK. Like, honestly, I can order things from the United Kingdom and get them in five to six days. I order something from anywhere in the United States. It's a good three weeks, at least bare minimum right. for it, for it to get to me. Cause it will ping pong around the United States, like a spastic jumping bean before it gets across the border. And then it'll sit in Canadian customs for usually three to five days. And then it's another three to five days after it clears customs that it will get shipped to me. So uh, go from the, from the United Kingdom. I order something from um, London, England, and it goes from London to international customs to Edmonton to my doorstep in five days tops. Well, let's well, face I mean, it. That's, that's because you kept the queen on your money. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ben stole my joke. <laughs> we might be filthy colonials. We might be still some of us, but I will take what advantage I can get, <laughs> even if I am painting. <laughs> uh, Stephen, do you? Uh... Do you back a lot of Kickstarters? Are you uh, are you keeping an eye on this whole tariff in, in situation? Because it's not going to just affect Kickstarters. It's going to affect pretty much the the whole industry at large. Uh, but I think a lot of Kickstarters, it's going to going to definitely uh, uh, make an, a huge impact towards. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> Kickstarters for me go in waves. Um, so I'll back a bunch and then I'll wait until they all show up and then I'll go. Um, you know, unless I'm backing a product for <clears throat> someone that I know or that like is a product that I really support, you know, for the most part, if it's like a big box thing, I'll just wait for it to come to retail because it's, they don't need me to help like keep their dream alive. Right. You know? Right. Um, you know, I'll put my money in if it makes a difference between a game getting made and existing or, you know, something like that. Um, but I'm keeping an eye on it. I mean, EFG, we, we look at video games and board games. So, man, am I worried about the price of consoles going up? Oh, <laughs> so, I didn't even think about um, that. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's not – I'm certainly not excited about it. You're right. I mean, it, it can upend all kinds of industries and make things just more expensive Sure. for yeah. no real value. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's crazy. Now – Here's one thing that I've noticed, uh, uh, and I've noticed this with the RPG Kickstarters a lot, um, is that a lot of uh, publishers are going to Kickstarter with the digital files for their RPG all set to go, or pretty close, like 90, 90 to 95% ready to go. And what they'll do is they'll they'll make pledges for just PDF versions of their game or for just like five to $10 more. You can, the, you can get a, um, a print on demand code. So what you'll do is after the Kickstarter is done and when it's all ready to print, they'll go through a service like um, drive through RPG or Lulu or, or some, some publishing company. And, 
they'll do a, a print-on-demand, so all you're paying for is the cost to print it and ship it. And boom, it goes... I, I, I'm assuming all of those places are, are U.S.-based. I, I don't think they're coming over from, from China or anything. So uh, I think you're probably going to see a lot more of that with the indie RPG market, maybe? I don't know. It just seems it seems like a trend that uh, this that that might that seems to be headed that way anyway, and it might more so now that uh, all these all this fifteen uh, percent tariff uh, hike is coming up from China uh, on printed uh, materials. So I I don't know. I don't know. It's just a trend what I'm wondering out. is would this fifteen percent uh, tariff push um, someone i don't know if it's going to be a company or a series of companies in the united states to decide to open up their own because if this 15 percent tariff wipes out any profitability from ordering from china you may as well produce it at home then right and right like i don't know if it's going to be phenomenally more expensive it usually is but if that 15 percent makes the difference of a company opening up it literally in the states to produce this stuff as a competitor i think it might actually be like, I don't want to say it's going to be helpful, but at least it's an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. And some of this, you know, listening to from like the economics perspective of it is, is publishing houses and people that people are asked that question. Why don't you just do it here? I think I say it's so the it's so fickle. If this tariff goes away, then there's no sense in spending millions of dollars in creating a, a you know, a publishing house here when it's, within a month or two months or a year, it's going to be cheaper to do it over in China again. So Plus, we're just kind of stuck in this, 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 you know, waiting, wait and see period. We'll call it the great Kickstarter drought of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> plus, plus I got to tell you that uh, working in, in the industry that I work with, uh, we see a lot of folks that import uh, uh, products from, from, you know, overseas and from China. And even with a 15% increase, it's still cheaper to get your products made over in China than it is to have it made over here. It, it just is, and and I don't. That's why I don't think you're going to see very many folks, uh, you know, s- make a publishing or, or start a publishing company uh, in the U.S. to offset this 15% tariff because just because 15% more is still cheaper than what it costs to make here in uh, in the U.S., which is really really sad. Yeah, it's just it's 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 amazing uh, how much how much less the labor is over and and all the all the other restrictions are you know o- overseas and s- as compared to here in here in the wow. states. In a lot of cases, like for most of these tariffs, all you're going to see is the American retailers are going to add the 15% into, right, their, into right. their price. Oh, absolutely. I like, mean, you're going to see the price I, go I up. Like, like your your t-shirts from Walmart are going to go from nine ninety nine to ten fifty. Yeah, and you're also going to see some cheaper quality products, I, I'm guessing, too, from a Kickstarter perspective. Because you, you might see less color printed and hardcover copies yeah. of books, and you're going to see a lot more just black and white. No more silk bookmarks for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what all transpires. But uh, yeah, that's uh... the latest. Um, the latest list I just looked it up is 122 pages long. <laughs> wow! Yikes! So, yeah, yeah. It, I 
I think I read somewhere it's like a, a almost ninety to ninety five percent of products coming out of China have some form of tariffs that are going to be attached to them. It's a uh, it's pretty comprehensive. Wow! I dropped the link in the chat if anybody wants to look at it later. Yeah, we'll, we'll also let we'll also mention that uh, the VCG uh, Chaotic Good podcast is uh, recorded live every Monday night at nine on our Chaotic Good discord server so if you would like to listen live and hear me stumble and bumble my way through uh, this podcast and definitely mess up the intro like i did on this episode which i've very nicely edited out for the final uh, final version uh you can just you know join the discord server and and listen along wow there's a ton of stuff that there a lot of cheese on here Whoa. a lot of cheese this is crazy. This is crazy. But anyway, that's going to do it for new at the store. Let's go to the box office beat. This is where we talk about the box office and what reigns supreme in the box office this last weekend. Uh, I will tell folks right off the bat, this was the second worst box office weekend of the year last this last weekend um i think it has a couple there's a couple different things that uh, are contributing factors to this uh most of all is that a it was the holiday weekend people are trying to enjoy enjoy their last few moments of summer before it goes away and uh there weren't really a whole lot of uh big releases this weekend and there's some other things that we'll talk about in a little bit in the next segment. But for right now, let's talk about what was in the box office real quickly. Number one, again, was Angel Has Fallen. Uh, it brought in $11.5 million. Uh, it's doing very, very well uh, for, you know, it's brought in a little over $40 million in two weeks, which is pretty solid. Um, it's not... Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's not. I don't think it's as big as the uh, the other Fallen franchise movies, but it's still doing well for uh, for that How type of movie. How many bad things can happen to the president? It's <laughs> kind of getting it's getting right. to diehard levels of silly now. Like, how many terrible things can you do to John McClane? Right, right. Um, but you know, people people uh, seem to really enjoy this movie. The folks that I've uh, talked to that have seen it said it's really good. Uh, the number two movie was Good Boys. Uh, again, that movie brought in just a little over nine million. It's at fifty-six, uh, a little over fifty-six million for the for its run in the, its third week. Um, so that's doing a lot, lot better than expected. Uh, Lion King is number three. That's that's uh, pulled in five hundred twenty million here in the u.s so that's crazy it's it's crazy to think that it's in its seventh week and it's still the number three movie like i'm betting that's the labor day effect right there that probably is uh, it's the last weekend for kids to be watching movies on a regular basis you want to get kids out of the house take them to the movies yep yeah i i agree with that uh number four was hobbs and shaw which uh, jason uh you saw that like early on Still doing absurdly well overseas. Still like, doing. It's all, 
it's almost like they like i don't want to say they don't care about the north american market but it is not the north the, the north american market for these movies is irrelevant right compared right. to the overseas revenue that they're making yeah like as as far as the the uh, European and Asian markets are concerned, they're going to build statues of Dwayne Johnson eventually. <laughs> um, like they'll, they'll be like three hundred feet tall, and everybody in America is going to say, "Okay, yeah, he's cool," but really, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they love the heck out of that man over there. I'm yeah. sure they'll make the statue out of rock. Number five. What's that? Before we move on, I will say though. Yeah, that movie was better than it had any right to be. Hobbs and, and Shaw. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. You put Idris mm-hmm. Elba as your bad guy. It's going to be a good movie because that man will carry a whole movie on his shoulder. See, I'm not a yeah. big, I'm not a big fan of the Fast and Furious movies. Like I've watched the first couple, and and uh, once they started to get really, really ridiculous, I stopped watching them. But, but this is a movie so that, that I would that like was to in go the, see. That was in the second movie, right? Yeah, now. pretty much. But this. This is a movie that I, I do want to see once it comes out, uh, you know, in either streaming or, or uh, on uh, home release, just because it, it looks cool. And uh, sure. I just don't want to spend, you know, whatever, like 50, 60 bucks to go see it in the theater, because that's what it costs now these days. But uh, and I know my, my wife and my daughter wouldn't go wouldn't wouldn't care to go see it. So. Yeah, there's that Wait, factor so that would well. just be you spending sixty dollars well no i'd have to drag yeah. them along too because you know, oh you would doug, force your family doug, to watch it <laughs> absolutely that's what i do doug just really likes his snacks that's what it really is he's i do like snacks um yeah no i, I jason uh jason you uh, you pretty much agree with with stephen with stephen here where uh hobbs and shaw was was pretty entertaining Oh yeah, it's it's I I don't I don't want to say it's a check your brain at the door movie because you do have to be paying attention because there are actually some interesting bits. This is one of those movies where if you come out of it with a notebook and you're an RPG gamer, you're going to be writing stuff down for ideas because right. there's a really cool background agency in this that is well worthy of being included in some sort of techno cyberpunk sure like the future kind of game system. Yeah, and, and that's kind of why I'm I'm interested to to watch it is because you know it's kind of got that futuristic cyberpunk you know spin to to things. So I would argue mm-hmm. that the last handful of Fast and the Furious movies did the same thing. Oh, okay. um, I'm in a weird position to be able to talk about this because this past Easter around that I actually watched every Fast and the Furious movie consecutively. Over the course of one weekend. Oh my and word! Wow, this was um right this was like a big family thing. We decided we love it. We're gonna do it with the Harry Potter movies next. But awesome. Um, but so it's so you know how you said that you didn't want to watch it when it went off the rails, right? And, and and here's the thing, right? Like it didn't go off the rails. It switched genres entirely. So like in the yeah. beginning, it was like a crime heist movie, kind of right. like right. And at the end, they're just the race car Avengers. And if you just accept <laughs> that, that they're the race car Avengers, and then that's step one to understanding, okay, this is cool. Number two, you have to accept that Ludacris is not playing a character. He is actually Ludacris. Like my head canon <laughs> yeah. is that that is Luda. And that yep. makes – and he goes from – over the course of all these films, he goes from being 
like just a dude who owns a garage and like is very charismatic and people know him to Q. And when you just, ex- and when that happened over a 48 hour period of my life, um, it, it just, it, they changed genres and that's, it's, they're different movies. Now they're spy movies. They just yeah, happen to have race cars in them. Yeah. They're into the super spy territory. Now they're yeah. in like the James Bond kind of book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's bananas. Now, I mean, yes, Vin Diesel stomped his foot and collapsed a parking garage <laughs> shortly after he was fighting a British secret agent while dual wielding wrenches. That all happened within five minutes. I'm not, I mean, it's stupid, but. <laughs> well, remember, and then he destroys a helicopter with a car. It's v- factually correct. Factually correct. <laughs> Factually correct. See, Listen, guys, everything we said is true, but once you accept the fact that really he's just Iron Man, it, it's way better. <laughs> we don't think that Iron that Tony Stark making a stupid suit in a cave is at all out of the realm of possibility. You know, like that that Dodge Charger can do some magic, sure. and then it makes everything a little bit better. Mm, okay. So See, it's kind of like Mask, then, like the '80s cartoon. Oh man, listen! Oh, yeah. If they have a Transformer in the next movie, yeah. I'm not going to be like if they had a Fast and the Furious Transformers crossover. Like, I would not blink an eye. Like, oh, I mean, that would be so cool if every actually tell me Transformer. Yeah. I mean, is, isn't that isn't that basically Transformers GI the Transformers GI Joe movie that everybody's like yeah. red hot for? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I would be except for the fact that it had the it would have the potential to be good <laughs> because I would rather see Transformers cross Fast and the Furious than Transformers cross G.I. Joe just because like, come on. <laughs> also, the likelihood of The Rock being in it would be higher. That's true. That's that true. Is true. Yep. And The Rock ma- is he makes everything better. <laughs> but who would he be? Because he was in the G.I. Joe movie. He was. That's exactly what I was getting so, to. It's like what it's character would he kid. be? Let him be. Um, why don't we just make it so that hear me out? What if Hobbs is actually Roadblock? Oh like what be. if they just really go and they just say before, you know, like he did a tour, and while he did a tour, he was Roadblock. I, we'd amazing. all, every one of us would watch that movie. I, I, would, I, would, I would accept that as canon. I would be, in, <laughs> I would be the first in line. Yeah. Like wow. we would all watch that movie. So I just, I, I come to the defense of fast and the furious because everyone remembers when it was a car movie and it's not a car movie. Now, now they are the race car Avengers. And now I'm all in for everything forever. Like I will watch every piece of fast and furious media forever. I, I, now this, I this, watch is like, this is like the this is like the fifth fifth week in a row we've talked about Fast and the Furious, and now I have to watch them because <laughs> I, I only right. saw the first one like fifteen years ago. <laughs> I have to watch them all now. You do? Uh, I, I I absolutely do now. After this conversation, I'm I, I think I need to add them to my uh, my Blu-ray collection. So awesome. Uh, number five for this week was Overcomer, and its second week it really is kind of i mean it brought in uh, a little over three thousand dollars per screen but the amount of screens went way down for this movie so um yeah i I don't think it has much longer on the top 10 uh number six was ready or not in its second week 
Yeah. Uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was number seven. Uh, The surprising entry on the top ten, number eight, Spider-Man Far From Home. Anybody want to say why that was? Well, they did put it into an extra 2,000 theaters again. Exactly. Even my local theater brought it back. That's the only reason it's back in the top 10 right now. And they, they artificially added, boosted sales. And they added four over four minutes worth of uh, footage to the film. Yeah, which that's basically do they're doing they're pulling the uh, the end game trick there. They they wanted to keep it fresh in people's minds because they want to try and drum up business for this whole Sony Marvel negotiations thing by showing Sony like, hey, we put this back in theaters. And people went out and saw it again. <laughs> yeah. So let us have the damn character. <laughs> I, I got to say, if they keep re-releasing these movies before they've really left theaters with new footage, th- to me, that just screams like people will stop going. You know, you'll get a bunch it's... of people that will go right at the beginning, but then yeah. no one will go because they're just waiting for. Yeah, uh, that's true. They'll wait for, for it. Yeah. And nobody I, will go to the first one because they're yeah. going to wait for the second release. I don't know. Just it I don't think like, that's true. No, I, I think no. I think you'll get some fallout. I, I agree. It won't really hurt opening weekend stuff, but I think you'll see massive drop offs where some people would go and see the movie and then see it again like a week or two later. If people are going to see something, you know, it re-released in a month and a half, they're not going to go right out and see it again. They may see it that first week and then just be like, well, wait. And I think you'll see some some fallout from this if this is a trend that actually grabs hold. And then you're well, gonna. No, I, I know. I, I that come out with the super mega extended edition. I see. When when they do the re-releases, those are honestly for the fans, and those same fans are still going to want to see that movie opening weekend. So I, it's not for the general populace, honestly. When they do these re-releases, if they add extra footage in there, it, I, I don't see like you know like. My, you know, like my, my aunt, you know, who, you know, would prefer to, you know, she, 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 these are the kind of things that like the general populace isn't going to be going to see these re-releases. It's, it's, I I don't see it negatively affecting anything in the long term. That's just my own personal opinion. I agree with that. I mean, I, I, so my mom is my like big MCU example because she's like, she knows nothing of nerd culture except for the MCU and the MCU, like before and before infinity war came out, she had like her beautiful little floral, um, you know, shopping list, um, you know, paper. And on it was a list of five, like the six things in the infinity stones and where they were. And she had read an article somewhere about like, where, you know, guessing where it was going to be like, that's her, like she's in on this stuff nice. and she heard about the Avengers Endgame, the extra scene. She's like, no, that's just going to be on the Blu-ray. I'm not going to do it. Same thing with far from home. And she loved those movies. So I, 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 I think I see, you know, the, the, the basic idea that, you know, if people are going to see this movie, there's a certain population that's going to be all the two and three times. And what we might see is some people that are obviously going to go see it opening weekend. There's no question about that. But then, you know, if maybe they might move their second viewing off, I think that's possible, but I don't think that we're going to see a, a huge drop off because the bulk of the people that see the, I mean, these movies are seen by everyone. Right. And 
Um, it's cr- it's crazy. With that said, I think if they're gonna keep doing this cheap trick, because really that's all it is, it's a cheap trick. Um, it's gonna have to keep getting better and better because people have been disappointed, kind of, with what they've done so far. They're just on a, a deleted scene. So I think they're just going to keep upping the ante or they're, you know, eventually somebody's going to screw up and, and do it real wrong and it's not going to work. But I, I don't think this is going to have like this huge problem. I think it's just going to be a, ch- it, it'll spread it out a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know I, I or I'm wrong. That. No, no, I, I agree with that. I, I think it, uh, I think it's definitely, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's definitely an incentive to maybe promote the DVD and Blu-ray sales, just to get kind of give folks a, a, a chance to view it at, at that, you know, in the theater uh, right before it's going to go out on uh, on home release, uh, you know, and, and then that way they kind of have something to kind of look forward to and, and maybe it will spur... Uh, more sales because you know if people see it in the theater they'll talk about it and then like maybe because I'm I'm assuming that Spider-Man Far From Home doesn't release on Blu-ray or DVD here in like I I, I would be surprised if it doesn't release here in a couple weeks I would guess uh is anybody can somebody Google that and find out uh when when that release is supposed to be because usually that's that's kind of how it was with uh with uh Endgame was it, it came back to the theaters with a few uh a october few scenes. 1st is it october 1st oh so there's a little bit of time uh hmm. what is today today is september yeah, yeah. september 2nd so, so it's about so less than a month so it's got about a month so yeah i i don't know i i think it's a i think it's a way to kind of uh maybe promote the the uh the physical release but maybe i don't know we'll see but i i agree with steven that if if somebody messes this up, it's going to ruin the whole thing. This whole uh, this whole trend that we're seeing. Um, and speaking of Spider Man, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Sony Marvel uh, the drama that's going on there. We got word just a few days ago that Sony and uh, and Disney and Marvel are are headed back to the negotiation table at some point this week, and uh, they think they've got some sort of tentative you know, deal in place uh, with a few other factors that aren't quite solidified yet. But what we've heard is that uh, Marvel is looking at uh, a seven-year deal for Spider-Man for their MCU films. And Sony has hit back with the fact that they, whatever agreement they make with Disney slash Marvel or whatever, Marvel Studios, um, the Spider-Man character has to be included in the Venom movies going forward. What are you guys' sure. thoughts on that? Sure. Right now, the Venom movie <laughs> is much too dark to stick that Spider-Man into. They would have to find a way around that. Like, the um, the Richard Garfield Spider-Man would fit perfectly, but the Marvel Universe Spider-Man is just way too bright and bold and that all of that for, for the Venom movies, the Venom movies are almost like DC quality movies for, for lighting right now. Everything was dark. Everything was nighttime. Nothing was lit. Well, (laughs) Steven, did you see the, uh, the Venom movie? 
I did. It was fine. Yeah, it was okay. Spider Man. Yeah, I mean it. It was all that right. Was it. it was yeah. fine. You know what? I think it was probably even better than fine. I'm just being harsh because it oh, didn't yeah. have Spider Man, who I, is like I didn't dislike it. I just cinematically, it's just they would need to lighten up that movie if they're going to throw that Spider Man in that suit into that movie. No reason they couldn't. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like the, the you're probably you're a smart guy, right? And you're right. And they would eat, they would probably figure that out, you know? And so there's no reason they couldn't fix that. Um, I would think that Spider-Man and Venom and Spider-Man cross Venom, whatever they decide to call that would be, you know, would almost be like different movies. You know, they did Venom's introduction and now they're having them fight Spider-Man. They could change it. I mean, it's not impossible to make these kind of updates and that would be the reason why they would. I, I, I mean, because you're right. They got to do something to make it work. Right. I, I think it'd be fine. And I, I would be I would be extremely worried about that that dreaded third installment movies that you've seen where if you look at this, the third Spider-Man movie that they came out and also the third Superman movie where they always make them their own villain where they become dark. <laughs> right, <laughs> I would yeah, hate right, right. to see yeah. that happen with, with the, with the, with the third installment of a Tom Holland, Spider-Man. <laughs> where was the one where, where um, Superman in the third movie, he got drunk at a, at a diner. And then was <laughs> the third Spider-Man yeah. movie. He just kind of, he just kind of we went started, off the yeah, deep end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they even make fun of that in, in, on into the Spider-Verse when they show him doing that little, that little, they have that horrible music and that goofy little dance where he has the terrible hairstyle going. And like, yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, canonically speaking though, he, you have to have Spider-Man because mm-hmm. that's the, how Venom, Venom, his whole look is because a, that the symbiote got that look from being part of Spider-Man first. So it, 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 it canonically, it makes sense to actually have Spider-Man in a Venom movie, but I, I agree with, yeah. I agree with what, the uh, way they've done the, uh, the way they've done the origin of Venom though, in the first Venom movie, um, it kind of doesn't make any sense as to why he looks the way he does. That's exactly. the one thing that I found weird. Like, why does he adopt that look? Like, and then all of the other symbiotes actually end up looking just like him, but just with yeah. different coloration and different size and different skills. I, I always, I thought that was very weird because I, I remember um, when they released the first uh, trailer images for it, Todd McFarlane actually got on uh, a live stream and grabbed one of the, uh, did a frame grab of the intro and edited their own CGI because they didn't bring him in to consult on the look of Venom which was ridiculous, but whatever. Um, and he completely retooled the facial features of Venom and made him way better looking. And he said, like, this, this Venom looks okay, but it could look much better. And sure. then he spent, like, the next 20 minutes editing the the visuals to make him look way better. I'm I'm looking forward, I mean, because uh, Andy Sarkis the, is going to be directing Venom too. He so is, yeah. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that it, it'll turn out well. He's come uh, it, a long way from just a mocap dude, really. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Done very well. I mean, most uh, most folks know him as uh, the person that portrayed uh, Gollum in the Lord of the Rings films, uh, but uh, he's gone on to do quite a bit of uh, other uh, serious acting as well as other stop motion uh, film acting. Uh, but he's also a director as well, which I wasn't aware mm-hmm. of. I, I mean, I'd heard he's done some some smaller projects, but I, I didn't realize that. Uh, 
uh, I, I'll have to look up and see if he's done any like really big box office movies. He did the Legend of the um the Mogwai movie from that was in uh, Netflix, that really dark adult uh, version of the Jungle Book. That <laughs> there was a big oh, deal yeah, about that last year yeah, where. Yeah, yeah parents would put their kids in front of like oh it's the jungle book and then they just hear screaming in the other room <laughs> like oh this is not for kids <laughs> oh man he was in all of the planet of the apes movies all of the new yeah. ones he was the main he was the main character for but that did he, did he direct but, them though no he didn't direct those I he only directed so. he only directed a few movies since yeah yeah um, Jason, I know the one thing that you're really uh, passionate about if uh, they do bring in the Sp- Spider-Man into the Venom movies is the scripting needs to stay the same because you were just a huge <laughs> fan of the scripting of the, of the Venom movie. Okay, Doug, I can see your troll and I will, I will raise you. I will raise you uh, an accurate statement. <laughs> They're going to need a better script if they want to put Spider-Man in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. Venom, Venom was his own comedian in the Venom movie and it kind of halfway worked. But the thing is, is he's supposed to be a villain. He was never supposed to be an anti-hero. He's a bad guy doing oh, bad yeah. things. So if they want to give Spider-Man back the role of the comedian, they're going to have to make some pretty major changes to his character because they you can't have two comedians in the same movie because then it's just going to be trying to one-up each other with quips and that just will get boring really fast. Right. right. All right, let's get back to the top 10 list. Uh, number nine was Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Number 10 was the Angry Birds movie, too, which I'm surprised is still even on the top 10 list, to be honest with you. But it's there. <laughs> All it's right. so angry. You can't, you can't underestimate the Angry Birds brand. I like, guess. That's one of those things. It, it, the movies came four years too late, but that brand still has cachet. Everybody looks at their iPhone and remembers it as an Angry Birds machine. And even <laughs> if they don't have I it, would, even yeah. if they don't have Angry Birds on their machine. I would be yeah. curious to see um, if there's any correlation to the release of the movie and re-downloads of the game. Oh, I get, yeah. I, there has to be. Yeah, has to be. yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Because I'm sure they did some sort of movie tie-in with the game. Um, you know, or for the, if they were smart, they probably did. But I, I don't know. I, I don't have Angry Birds on my phone, so I don't. I I can't speak for uh, how they marketed the game uh, on on uh, mobile devices. So, yeah. Uh, it's the third week for uh, Angry Birds, mo- the movie two. Uh, I have a feeling it's probably not going to be on there next week. I think next week we're going to have a new number one, guys. Uh, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if It Chapter Two is the number one movie next week. Oh, we all we all pretty much sure about that. Out. Yeah, I I very rarely go to the movies nowadays, and I catch things later on. Once I hit the streaming services, but I have already made plans to go see it chapter two. So uh, I will be contributing to the box office. Nice. I I would, I would say, I think it's probably going to be Edie, which is about the 83 year old woman who uh, is going camping. <laughs> that's, that's a very large demographic of folks. that want to see that movie. I'm sure Bernie. I, I always like to bet on the dark horse. coming up. So. <laughs> That's how you win big, right? (laughs) 
That was the box office beat. Now, let's go sit in the corner in the pop culture corner brought to you by storycomic.com. Barney, let's so, talk all about all this cool stuff that was released on streaming services and all these other things you have uh, planned for us. So let's let's just uh, dive right in. So let's uh, yeah dive right in. Let's. So the first thing I wanted us to to talk about is the uh, the Dark Crystal Ooh. just was released two days ago, and I've already finished watching all ten episodes. Uh, and I think some of you guys watched the uh, Dark Crystal. It's watched some of them so far, correct? I, I've I watched up to episode, episode five. One. Yeah, and it's and, <laughs> and obviously isn't getting this isn't giving away anything because it's a prequel to the the movie that came out in eighty six or eighty seven. Right. So <laughs> you already kind of know how the series is going to end. So it's. <laughs> That was the one gripe my wife had when we were watching it. And she's like, why are we watching this? We know how it's going to end. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, but don't you want to, like, watch and see how it, like, builds up to that point, though? She's like, what? I know. It, it, it's it's amazing because you, you, you're, it's, I, you forget that you're watching puppets. You know? Oh, absolutely. Like you get so into it. So, and Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I I've got to, I, I've. While I was watching this, I, I I asked my daughter if she wanted to watch it with us, and she's thirteen, and and uh, she's very opinionated about this uh, about the show, and she gave it a shot. She watched one episode. She's like, "Dad, it's just puppets." I'm like, "Yeah, but look <laughs> at it. It's it's amazing visually. It's it's terrific." She's like, "Yeah, I don't want to watch this." She got up and walked. She got up and left. It, it it's just puppets. That's like that. That'd be like you calling her anime. Oh, those are just drawings. <laughs> That's just cartoons. Stick figures. They're just stick figures. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's you know, I don't know. This is and this is this was my question too. Is that Jim Henson Studios is owned by Disney? So I'm wondering what is going to be happening with. And and I gotta say though, between between like the relationship net Netflix has with Disney is way different than what Disney has with Sony. And I think they're that Netflix kind of honors their deals with with Disney. But it's I don't see this happening. And I, I don't know if they're having a having a conversation or a separate contracting with Jim Henson Studios, because you see the other the other titles that Disney owns, they are ending those with netflix mm -hmm. but for some reason this is starting up and and just looking at the news ahead of time on this is they're already gearing for season two season two of of uh, dark crystal age of resistance is coming out in 2021 oh, so there's nice. still going to be a relationship that disney is going to be having with netflix a bit with a little bit with uh, jim henson studios so so just to go back to the box office beat just for a little bit, I really think that the fact that that Dark Crystal and um, Carnival Row, which also uh, debuted on uh, Amazon streaming, I really think that those two releases impacted the box office this weekend. Even though it was a holiday weekend, it was because and that's usually a slow weekend in general, but I think it's even more more slow so I think it was impacted even more so because two really great like streaming shows 
debuted. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if Dark Crystal would have more views and downloads and whatever, you know, viewers than Angel has fa- fallen la- this last weekend. Well, then again, it's different audiences. I think the right. people that are going to be sitting down watching Carnival Row and and Dark Crystal are not the same kind of people who are going to be watching The Lion King, who's been out for two months, or True. you know, Hobbs and Shaw's been out. I think it's just it was just a really dry week. And if you look at what's coming up, anyway, just side note, what's coming up in the next couple of months? I mean, next couple of weeks in the theaters, there's not a lot of blockbusters other than the potential of it. This second, cha- right, the ch- right. second chapter. But I mean, with that said, though, I'm mean, talking about you know talking about with 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 Disney because Disney is utilizing is going to be utilizing Jim Henson Studios still. They're going to having um, Disney Plus is going to be having a Muppet Show coming out mm-hmm, in 2020. Mm-hmm. It's coming out next next year. So it's not like they're handing over Jim Henson Studios directly over to Netflix. But I was curious to notice that they're still planning on. I mean, especially with the success of this, they're still planning on having a, a a second a second season coming out, but it's got to be a limited show. I don't think you're going to be having more than three seasons because you know how you know how this show is going to end, right? So right. with, I mean, with the you know the complete you know annihilation of the Gelflings, so. <laughs> I mean, that's not giving it away. I mean, we knew that 30 years ago. So, right. But so uh, there were a couple things when I was watching the show that I had, I had a couple, there was a few thoughts that I had in my mind while I was watching this. And and I'm just going to do, if you don't mind, I'll just bring them up real quick. Um, One, this show is really not a kid show. Like, even though it's like Muppets and, you know, uh, puppets and all that, like, there's some really dark storylines in, in The Dark Crystal. Like, I don't think I would, like, have my eight-year-old sit down and watch it with, with me. Like, oh, no, it is violent. It is, it is, like, it's the equivalent of, it's, <laughs> it's like if um, Sesame Street was directed, it was, like, took place in a Game of Thrones Right, universe. right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first thing that, that that crossed my mind is wow this is a lot more mature and this deals with some really dark storylines than than i really kind of thought that it was going to the second thing that i thought was this would make such a great rpg what didn't i hear that someone was going to make an rpg a dark crystal rpg years ago so i went and i googled and sure enough Luke Crane had the rights to make a Dark Crystal RPG. Now, Luke Crane is uh, the uh, designer and author of uh, Burning Wheel. And at one point, back in 2012, he it was announced that he was going to be publishing a Dark Crystal RPG that was based on um, kind of the, the modifications that he made for Mouse Guard and that IP, and he was going to put an RPG out for Dark Crystal, but I never saw it, and I don't think it ever came out. So I'm wondering if if he still has the rights to it, if we're going to see maybe now an RPG that would come out. Uh, maybe he was just, maybe he knew that this series was coming out, and therefore he was just holding off until, you know, the, the, the hotness of uh, the Dark Crystal hit, 
and maybe we'll 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 hear of another announcement. I don't know. I just thought it would make a really cool RPG. Yeah, he would have done it by now because there was it was announced twenty seven. Did looking on this twenty seven months ago? It was like a a two and a half years ago. It was mentioned that Dark Crystal was coming out, so he had plenty of time to put something together. My guess is they probably lost the lost the rights to it. Maybe, maybe I because the because what is it, Archia Archaea. I can't remember what the the uh, the the comic publisher that that puts out Mouse Guard, and they also have they also have the rights to uh, they've also published Dark Crystal comics as well. Um, they, I, I would think that he would be because he still has the rights to to do the Mouse Guard RPG. I yeah I don't I don't know I don't know I just thought it was an odd thing that we heard about it and then nothing and now it's now prevalent. Right, right, or 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 the or the issue could be that since he he might not have known anything about what this storyline is going to be, it's basically kind of like the different. It's like the equivalent of like Knights uh, of the Old Republic, so yeah. he can't if he's trying to have some sort of canonized you know universe in place of that thing, official universe in place, he'd need to see all this stuff. Sure, sure. So, yep. No, that that's a great point, Barney. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's maybe he heard that there was a, a show in the works, and and uh, he was told to hold off. Hmm, that's interesting. the 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 final thing that I had, the final thought that I had that came through my head, was since Disney owns the, the Jim Henson Studios, and they also own Star Wars. Wouldn't it be cool if there was some sort of Star Wars show that was in this type of like form? Oh, like a Muppet type? Yes, a Jim Henson world, like a yeah. Jim Henson Star Wars Muppet world, like a show, you know, that's it's set in the Star Wars universe, but uses like this whole Muppet, this you know, this whole type of uh, uh, filming and 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 everything. Wasn't you can that, always uh, do something with Yoda because Yoda's his planet. Nobody knows where he's from. Yeah, Dagobah, the series. <laughs> I mean, we had a whole battle on Endor. I mean, you had the Ewoks. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, we already have Jim Henson in Star Wars. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because Yoda, Frank Oz did the voice. Well, of Yoda. yeah, but even, wouldn't... yeah, even um, Jabba was a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there was a lot. So it was uh, Salacious Crumb, and I'm trying to think who else. Uh... My favorite character in that entire movie. In, the, in Return of the Jedi? <laughs> yep. I love that little guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can all kind of relate to wanting to rip uh, C-3PO's eyes out, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially when they're red. Oh. Well, I wonder what that's going to be all about. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, those were the three uh, the three thoughts that I had while I was watching that move while I was watching that show, and and yeah. you know we'll see we'll see what happens with the uh, with the the Dark Crystal universe. Just uh, I think that uh, it's going to uh, I think the Dark Crystal show is going to be kind of like Stranger Things in that. Folks are just going to watch it because it's really, really well done, and the storylines are really great. And I think it's going to bring 
a huge popularity to, to that franchise. Yeah. So well, it's definitely yeah. going to put it in front of a whole new generation of people. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And it, it proves that puppeteering is still perfectly acceptable as an art form. Like I have already seen some of the behind the scenes of this stuff and the amount of effort and stuff that these puppeteers go through to maybe bring this stuff to life is well worthy of appreciation. <laughs> and just, Jason, I'm just imagining the same conversation that kids are having with their parents now. Mom, you know, puppeteering is a completely legitimate art form. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be a puppeteer when I grow up. I'm going to be a puppeteer. You are. <laughs> uh, and, and so the, there's a, there's something else that, I, that was big in the news sure. in the pop culture. Well, the, the game gaming news this past week. Okay. And that was, well, yeah. And that was, that was the launch of, Oh, we were, we were recording this last Monday when it, I think when it, when it fell down, it was uh, the world of Warcraft classic. Oh yes. And yes. Stephen, what do you that... think about, uh, what do you, Beth, what do you think about this uh, world of Warcraft classic? Are you uh, uh, a WOW player? Yeah. I mean, I, the only reason I haven't played yet is uh, because I wanted to let it kind of chill out a little bit before I hopped in. Cause I didn't want to wait in lines to wait in lines. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, it's it, it has caught fire in a way I didn't really expect it to. I I just have my doubts on whether or not it will be sustainable. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was the number one game streamed on Twitch the day after it came out. Um, had a million individual streamers, which is a lot crazy. Um, and it was yeah, it's crazy. Um, it it's what people want. I, I think a lot of people are uh wishing that they could go back to a, a, a quieter and more simple time. Yeah. Um, and uh, that certainly does that. Um, and I can't wait. It's just a matter of time. It, and to, and I've noticed it like the playing it. I'm, yeah, I get, you know, I'm just, I'm at level 16 already. So, and, and I think that the piece of it too, as like, as what Steve was saying is that it's, there's a high level of nostalgia not just for the people who played it 15 years ago, but it's a high level of nostalgia for the people that always wanted to play it. And the culture of the game has is amazing. It's, it's changed. You can actually look on Twitter and you can find some pictures on Instagram or people lining up for respawnable bosses, like people waiting in line to kill the yeah. boss. And or you don't see that. Time. Like you don't see that in modern games. People are like, are like cult that fitting into being like super nice to each other, which you haven't seen in world of Warcraft or any of the other. Like, well, that's not, I mean, in world of Warcraft, you haven't seen people being super nice to each other in like literally over a decade. So yeah, I think it's one of those things too, because it's the classic, you've got all the nostalgia. The player base is much more mature. Now they are people our age going back and recapturing this and we know okay this sucks when this boss gets farmed out from under me so i'm just going to queue up and then that has just started a trend yeah i i uh i'm not a big world of warcraft uh player to be honest with you i i didn't really grow up with it i think it's a little uh barney when did that come out when did when did the uh, original world of warcraft come uh out? the it came out in 2004 yeah 
was the was the first was the was the first one then and then sub subsequently they've been having expansion packs coming out expansions every between two and a half to three years so they're gearing up for their announcement in november at blizzcon they're going to be they're be announcing their ninth well their eighth expansion so are they actually is that confirmed that they're announcing the next expansion they uh, they time? always do it it's always every two years it, wow it's but, been that time okay yeah it's going to be that time and it's pro and there's already been some leaks that it's going to be taking place in the shadowlands which is the place where when you die in that in the graveyard with so that there that's what it's going to be taking place in is the leaked information sure Why do not? we know if they're going to release the expansions at the same rate for for vanilla wow or are they just going to keep it vanilla I don't know. Yeah, and that's I like, nobody knows. I mean, they're not sure it would what be interesting do if it. three years from now they well, drop a whole new expansion. Well, right. they've shared some of that information. I mean, they're, they're at least plan one. I mean, so they started at um, I think it's patch. Uh, I think it's one point oh six. Um, right. which is and so their intention is to slowly patch the game up until. Um, Drums of War, which was the patch right before, um, right before Burning Legion or Burning Crusade, rather. So it's they're they're going to be pushing that out for a while, and so I suspect that it will be somewhat slower. Um, but they have not; they have indicated that this is not going to. They're not going to put in the next expansion. Although mm -hmm. I think it's a, eventually they might because there might be pressure to do so. Um, and imagine the marketing prowess of a company that can release a game and run it for 10, 12 years on expansion after expansion, then going back and base and literally re-releasing their game and having people sign up to play it all over mm, again, yeah, all the way amazing. up to the current level. Could you imagine that as a marketing ploy? People like just on the surface of it, just thinking about it, you're like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. That would be like Wizards of the Coast releasing vanilla magic all over again with like the beta set and then starting it all over again people would play it i bet people would play oh, that i, gu I guarantee well, it people would gobble yeah. that up i think that the difference with world of warcraft why it wouldn't necessarily be problematic is um because they're not selling it like you don't have to buy like anyone right. with an active world of warcraft subscription can play wow classic so they could if they wanted just say okay uh, there's enough of y'all crazy people that uh, <laughs> played all the way up to the level cap and you're clamoring for a burning crusade. So here's three servers that you can transfer into for free that we're rolling up to, um, you know, burning crusade. And theoretically they could keep doing that. I think there's a limited number of people who would be nostalgic for like wrath of the Lich King, you know, right. but I mean, at the end of the day, it's a numbers game, and we have to remember yeah. Blizzard is owned by Activision, and Activision likes dollars. So, um, you know, and not only do they like dollars, but they're a publicly traded company. They have a, an obligation to their investors. So if they find out that this WoW Classic trend, like if it actually turns out to be sustainable and maybe even grows the game – and then, yeah, I think it's it might even be inevitable that they add more stuff. I know a lot of people, actually, that have stopped playing WoW in the last, you know, five, six, eight years or whatever, because they just got tired of the game, who have 
been planning for months what guild they're going to create, what server they're going to join with like huge groups of people just because they want to play old fashioned WoW again. So I think it's yeah. prob they're probably going to see a pretty big upswing in account reactivations for this. Whether or not it lasts and, will be the telling thing. But. They, and, and just a, bucks this, this month. So. And just a side note for any of you, so like for you, Doug, for instance, who don't, who's never really played World of Warcraft or any people are looking, if look for the Twitch streamings of the ones that are people doing the Iron Man competition. You guys, have you guys heard, ever heard of the Iron Man competition? Yeah. It's where you can't die and you can only wear grays or whites uh, level gear and and you can't have any buffs. You can't do any of that stuff unless it's part of your own class. And, and it's so fun. I've done that once before playing and I got up to like level 50 before I died. But if you die, you just have to, you know, end your game. You just, you know, delete your character and watching those on Twitch streams are so fun because it actually is a sense of panic and a sense of, of risk yeah. instead of watching they, people just like spam through and get killed. They have turned WoW into a roguelike by doing that. Yeah. That's basically ex exactly what they've done. You have one life. You can only get what you can earn. You can't give yourself stuff. You can't have people giving you stuff. <laughs> it's a cool idea. It really is. And the streaming, yeah. the, the streamers that are running this, holy cow, are people yeah. watching the crap out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there is a sense of loss about it compared to other people who are just kind of like running through dungeons and stuff. So it's so fun watching people do the Iron Man competition. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I like to throw yeah. up uh, uh, Twitch content every once in a while on my, on my TV, especially while I'm like just doing something that's kind of, you know, uh, doesn't require a whole lot of my attention. You know, I'll just throw, throw uh, Twitch content up just kind of in the background. So I'll have to, I'll have to keep that in mind. And I just had one more thing to talk about, Doug, real quick. And that sure. was about um, uh, Marvel's starting a Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur cartoon. Yeah. And, and it's initially, I thought it was coming on, uh, it's not coming on Disney Plus. It's actually coming on Disney Channel. Oh, so it it's is. A, yeah, it's going to be kids. It's going to be for kids. It's, coming, it's heading to Disney Channel in 2020. So that's the reason why it, it wasn't super announced in, uh, in uh, D23. And the other piece of it too, it's actually being partnered with uh, Lawrence Fishburne's uh, cinema uh, gypsy productions, uh, his production company. And so he's kind of taken the reins on that Lawrence Fishburne is. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. So, yeah. Well, that was awesome. That's the, uh, the pop culture corner. what I say? Yeah. That's what I called it. The pop court, the pop Culture Corner brought to you by StoryComic.com. Go check out StoryComic.com for all your Bernie goodness. <laughs> all right, that's going to bring us to our featured content for the week. We are going to be talking about introducing your friends and kids and just... I don't like that intro. Which second? Let me start that over again. We didn't like it either. Though. Yeah, sorry. So that's going to bring us to our featured content for the week. Brought to you by Steven at 
Engage Family Gaming, where we're going to be talking about introducing your kids and friends to RPGs. And Stephen, this was a great article that you put on your your uh, your website. Uh, if folks want to uh, read this article that you have uh, on online, where should they go first and foremost? So uh, they should go to engagefamilygaming.com. And it's still on the front. It's still on the front page, um, so they'll be able to see it. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I wrote that on a whim. Uh, I asked for uh, some other content creators on my Facebook page uh, to, you know, chime in. I guess I know Rob Collegian, you know, one of your normal casters, um, is you know big into know, playing Dungeons and Dragons with his family. So um, I knew I would get a reasonable response, and it was overwhelming. And so we put that together. Um, yeah, it's, it was a, it's a, it's a fun project and it's something that I've really gotten into over the last, uh, you know, I'd say pretty much since summer, Mm -hmm. I play a regular game with my kids and also I'm helping our town librarian understand Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I get that asked a lot. Um, I get asked, you know, what, where, how should I introduce my kids to RPGs? You know, do I just throw them in the deep end with D&D? Do I show them some other RPGs? Or what other RPGs are there, are there that, that are out that uh, maybe aren't as complex as D&D that will kind of get my kids started in this, in this, in this hobby? Um, but yeah, I thought your article did a great job of, of kind of addressing those questions that I know I get asked uh, pretty much almost at every show that we do. Um, but uh, yeah, so what uh, what what are some of the tips to uh, introduce your kids to uh, to role play games? Sure. I mean, I think so. With kids, ultimately, it's going to depend on the on your kids, you know, how old they are, etc. Right. So. Um, the so i i would say first and foremost you know your kid better than i do so you know your mileage may vary but i think the first thing is to pay attention to kid focused role-playing games um, because there's actually a fair number of them uh some of the ones that i have encountered and had positive experience with are uh hero kids Mm, that's Um, a great system and yeah i mean it's so simple um and then there is um, there's also No Thank You Evil from Monty Cook Games, mm-hmm. which is again, it's introducing a lot of the you know tabletop gaming, um, tabletop RPG theory without you know needing three source books and fifteen different kinds of dice. Um, and I also I I include the Tales of Equestria tabletop role playing game because yeah it's great, but I think a big piece of it is sometimes. Um, it's not complexity that's the barrier, it's engagement. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's the truth with all kinds of games. But, you know, sometimes you just need to have something that grabs a kid and, and gets them to sit their butt at the table. And for some kids, that's ponies. Um, you know, for some, you know, for my, you know, my 10-year-old, um, he just wanted to be a cat person. That's it. He found a miniature at, in a bin that I had, and he's like, be this guy. And so we built that guy. And that was it. That's all it took. He was willing to figure out any rules, whatever. He didn't even really care what game he was playing as long as he got to be that dude. Um, and so I, I throw Tales of Equestria in there because of not only its quality, but because, you know, there's kids that like ponies. And it, that sits them at the table. Um, you can kind of graduate up if you want or if they are interested. 
um, kind of tests whether or not it's their jam. Because if if you bring their favorite thing to the table and they don't, still don't like it, then you're not going to get them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So um, it's a great way to do that. Um, I also, you know, another piece of that, and it kind of pops off of the kid-focused RPG uh, tip, is um, to really focus on the fact that Dungeons and Dragons and similar games are about shared storytelling. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids are used to playing, you know, they play their Fortnite and, you know, they play Minecraft and everything just happens to them, right? Like they aren't really participating in the story. Um, and in Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop games, um, they are a part of telling a story that other people are experiencing at the same time. Um, and so, I, you know, try to encourage all of my players and especially my kids to recognize that I'm not the only person doing the work. I'm not the computer. I'm just a guide. And, you know, I know the rules and I know what's going to happen generally. Um, But they have a responsibility to work with me to tell the story for everybody else. Um, And that might mean describing what they do or at the very least being aware that they need to not interrupt other people's story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get that down, every, uh, everything kind of kind of pivots right off that, right? Like once they understand that it's a shared storytelling experience, then it's just a matter of figuring out the rules so they can get it out of their own way, even if they want. Um, and um, my last big tip um, is um, have fidget toys that are quiet. Um, a lot of younger kids are going to, are going to have trouble sitting for, you know, what we would think would be a normal Dungeons and Dragons session. And I have found that if you have younger kids, especially 10 to, you know, 13, like that age, Mm -hmm. um, and I would, and absolutely younger, um, they're going to have trouble sitting still. And so what they're going to do is they're going to play with their dice. Um, and that is distracting for everyone, right? Because they're going to drop them on the floor. They're going to be climbing under the table. And when you have four people, four kids doing that, it's a mess. So I actually recommend getting quiet fidget toys. Um, some examples. Um, and I actually got these from a first grade teacher who also has like a approved list of quiet fidget toys. Um, there are like Play-Dohs and thinking putties that they can just kind of futz with. Fidget spinners are so dumb. <laughs> but they work um and you can get them you know like a dollar will buy you like 50 of them at a gas station right now right um right. and so i actually just legitimately will hand every kid at any of my tables like a tub of play-doh or a fidget spinner or something like that so they can mess around with something and feel comfortable doing so without rolling their dice um because you know we all i mean how many of us have seen an adult at the table mess around with their dice and they drop stuff and it's disruptive absolutely yeah what are you trying to say man (laughs) you know exactly what i'm trying to say bro (laughs) if you're called out i feel like i'm being called out here (laughs) listen if you feel like you're being called out then then so be it you're being called out um i can send you a link to a fidget spinner on amazon um i'm not allowed to buy those anymore my wife says i can't have any more okay um uh then you can buy a small lego set because Legos also work. I am taking that as permission. Sure. By all means. Um, so those are those are some of my big my biggest tips um to introducing kids. Um, you know, it, it just make it welcoming and then let them be kids. 
and giving them fidget toys and things like that, let them do that. Because kids tend to have uh, some sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for again? Uh, they tend to have good storytelling and role playing just built in. You know, when when we were little and we played outside, we used to pretend that we were. You know, uh, I know I used to pretend that you know I was GI Joe or or uh, a Transformer or something like. And we used to play out in the yard and we'd all pretend that we were. You know different characters so we kind of when when we're little we kind of have that built in anyway it's just mm-hmm. kind of expanding upon it yeah i mean absolutely imaginative play is a big piece of childhood i know a lot of folks say that it is you know gone or diminishing um i think a lot of that is technophobia um and i you know i talk about that a lot elsewhere um but kids they naturally have that but it is something that needs to be exercised Right. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I like Dungeons and Dragons, because it gives us that opportunity to really flex those muscles. Um, kids, the, the issue with Dungeons and Dragons is other games like it is it looks like a board game. So they're conditioned in a lot of cases to look at it as though it's a board game. They have pieces and you're rolling dice. So we need it is up to us as the experienced players to help them understand that we're not playing Monopoly right? Like we're not playing Scrabble. We're playing a different kind of game. Um, But once they break the genre, you're darn right. Um, Excuse me. So the, um, so yeah, that's my, uh, that's my thought on that. Now, um, I think you, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, your selections on uh, introductory RPGs, especially for kids. I would kind of throw, uh, Tiny Dungeon and Tiny Dungeon Hatchling Edition into that uh, list of uh, of games to kind of introduce kids to uh, RPGs. Yeah. Uh, I think those are That's those what two I use games. For my are, neighbor's kids. Yeah, I think uh, I think those two uh, systems are, are really they're pretty much the same system, but I, I think those two games are, are really well done for uh, for for younger audiences as well. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with the uh, Tales of Equestria game. I think that that's amazing. Um, I know uh, it, it's built around, you know, My Little Pony, but you know what? That system works, and I ran it, what was it, like two or three years ago at Carnage, uh, and I had such a great time at the table running that for I, – I ran it for two young, you know, young girls. They were probably – yeah, probably seven and nine. Their mother, um, I, 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 probably a woman that was probably late twenties, and Jordan Streeter from Gamers Against Alzheimer's. So it was like it was such a great group of of different ages, and and we had Jordan in there, and man, we walked away, and Jordan Jordan walked away from it, and we were walking together, and he said, you know what? I had so much fun at that game than I thought I was going to. I thought it was going to be a really lame session, but holy smoke, that was a lot of fun. I'm like, yeah, it's a fun system. You know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really kind of, you know, well done and, and great for, uh, great for getting kids into, uh, playing RPGs, even though it's, it's, uh, I, I think you could probably pull it away from the uh my little pony ip and kind of make it 
uh, you could kind of adjust it to whatever setting you wanted to. Um, I think uh, Kids on Bikes kind of does that a little bit. I think a lot of the mechanics from Kids on Bikes kind of pulls from uh, that game or vice versa. Um, so I think you see a lot of crossover with, with those two systems. So even, even kids on bikes would kind of be, uh, one of those, uh, one of those games that, uh, I would probably tell folks to, uh, to try out. I would definitely, if I'm going to introduce my friends to RPGs, I think kids on bikes would probably be the system that I use. Um, Stephen, have you, uh, have you introduced any, any non RPG friends to the hobby with uh, with any games yeah you know what i just used dungeons and dragons you just used um, dungeons and dragons okay yeah i think the um it, and ultimately it just comes down to um it's a lot of the folks that i have tried to introduce into these kinds of things they know what dungeons and dragons is sure and so that wow there's thunder wow um i guess the the hurricane's hitting us I don't know. I'm in Connecticut, so probably not. <laughs> um, so if you hear thunder, um, or if I vanish, um, don't be mad. Um, I'm not leaving <laughs> no. on purpose. Um, so yeah, I just use Dungeons and Dragons because it's got cultural cachet. So sure. when I say, "Hey, we're going to play D and D," that's what we're going to play. It's also the system that I know the best. Um, I also really don't think it's as you know. It gets it gets a little bit of a you know uh, uh, you know it's given a little bit of a hard time for being difficult. Um, but I, I don't think it's that challenging to play, especially when you just play by the rule that like, whatever dude, we're just trying to tell a story. Um, so I just use that to shape things. Um, I taught, like I said, I'm teaching our town librarian who happens to be somebody that I you know went to high school with. And um, she is not by any stretch uh, a gamer. Um, and she's got her, you know, gnome ranger, riding on a giant badger, you know, and she's, you know, enjoying herself and it, the, the complexity is not getting in the way. Nice. Um, so I just use Dungeons and Dragons. I know there are tons of other options out there, uh, but I just, you know, lean into the, that one thing. I think anybody that truly wants to get into it can. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so with this, uh, this librarian, uh, I, I'm really interested on this. Uh, have you, uh, are, is are they are are they looking to add that as part of the services that the library provides? I know a lot of uh, I don't uh, I don't know. That's okay. possible. It's just their their own or their per, own personal curiosity more than anything else. Um. So yeah, I don't know that that's their uh if whether or not that's their plan. Um, I know that it was the, um, you know, like the, the way, the way she explained it to me is that I, I think sometime like around the new year, she said that playing Dungeons and Dragons was like on her bucket list. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> and, fine. um, and, you know, I, I was like, I mean, I could run for you. You know, my plan was to get something started closer to summer with my kids. Um, and she was like, she was all in from that minute. She had, you know, so I think that it, I, I know that it is her plan to get a bunch of the books to include them as like a packet mm -hmm. that can be given out. Um, but I don't know if they're going to be like, run. I doubt they'll be games and okay. like that. 
Um, you know, I mean, if she asked me to, I would do some, but yeah. I think that would be uh, an interesting, that, that could be, that, that could be wild in my town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the only reason why I ask is because uh, our local library has, uh, has a D&D uh, night where, where they ask folks if they want to come in. We don't have any uh, local gaming stores uh, in my town, so um, so there are uh, teenagers and, and younger kids and even older, you know, even adults that, that play D&D, and so they have, uh, I think it's on Wednesday nights, they, they have a D&D night at the library. And then uh, Jordan Streeter, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he's head of, uh, he, he does uh, Gamers Against Alzheimer's. And uh, his local library actually has him come in uh, during the summer. Then this is the second summer in a row that he's been doing this um, and teach uh, how to run rpgs and how to play rpgs and 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 it's like a i think it's like a six-week course where folks sign up and he teaches them how to play a certain rpg and it might you know sometimes it's dungeons and dragons uh for a few weeks and then sometimes it's another system but uh yeah i I, i'm seeing more and more uh libraries kind of uh become you know community spots for for role play games so role playing games and and role playing role playing game uh, players uh not only just at friendly local game stores like Ben's and uh, Quarterstaff Games but uh but also maybe some places that that don't have friendly local game stores Absolutely you know I mean they got to they are libraries are struggling for funding all over the one sure. of the ways that they justify it is through engagement and proving that they are being used. So a lot of them are, you know, finding really creative and interesting ways to make use of their space and encourage people to come in. Um, and I think, th- I think tabletop role-playing games is a brilliant way to do it. Um, so, yeah. It's also um, in, I don't, I don't want to, I guess I'm going to generalize anyway. I was going to say I don't want to generalize, but I'm going to generalize. Um, a lot of parents don't necessarily feel wildly safe sending their kids to a local game store because they don't know what it's about. They don't know who hangs out there. They're not sure what's going on. But if you send your kids to the library, you're, you can pretty much rely on them being safe because there's going to be somebody there, an adult, watching over them. That's true know? facts. Whereas like you go into a, some like, I hate to say, we've discussed this before on the podcast. Some game stores have not the best public image. Like not, not that I'm saying people are like doing shady things in them or anything. It's just when you walk in the front door, all you see is mountains of things you don't recognize as an adult. You know, there's miniatures, there's card games, there's colored stuff everywhere. There's all these fantasy posters and some of them aren't very flattering so they're not necessarily too keen to leave their kid there for two to three hours during the, during a summer afternoon. (laughs) But if if it's being held to the library, Oh my God, you want to go to the library, get the heck over there. (laughs) Well, we're also conditioned, right? Like your friendly local game store is a store, right? And so we would never think that it was okay or acceptable to bring our kid and just drop them off at Walmart and like leave them. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's one thing that I, talk to folks about is that like friendly local game stores are um they're event driven 
right? Like they encourage people to come there and be there and stay there um, because that's how their business operates. And that's, that's not easy necessarily for a lot of folks to kind of wrap their head around um, because they're, like I said, they're used to, you know, you go to the bookstore, you don't sit there and read. You know, there are some people that do, but like you go to the bookstore, you buy it and you leave. You and it's transactional, right. and that's how they think of retail. Um, and that's not what, but people feel that way very differently about the library, right? Like they're used to, oh, we have story time, and the library has the cool like educational programs where I can learn couponing or knitting or whatever. Um, and the so they're used to that paradigm. Um, so absolutely, I agree with you. There's a lot of parents that would not think twice about dropping their kid off at a two hour long, um, you know, or two, three hour long Dungeons and Dragons thing at the library. Whereas they might pause if they found out that it was at a store. Yeah. hundred percent believe you on that. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Ben, uh, do you do any kind of, uh, RPG, uh, events at, at quarterstaff? So we don't run anything ourselves, but we partner with, uh, various people in the communities, to run events and we provide the space for them to play in uh we've done you know student groups we've done adult groups uh and we're actually really excited uh we tried it uh this spring but we had a a gentleman from a, a school group bring in and it was all like eight nine ten year olds and and playing a very stripped down version of D D with these eight nine ten year olds and it was some of the best experiences we were able to observe in the store um, and we're happy that we are able to invite them back uh, this fall now that the uh, school is back in session we're going to be trying to get them back in and and really embracing these these new gamers uh, and yeah they're fantastic to watch as as we mentioned earlier they have a, a perfect imagination and once they learn that they're telling the story as a group the stories that they tell are better, probably better than anything else we can come up with. Now, if folks aren't interested in the fantasy genre, do you guys have any suggestions for RPGs that would make great introductory RPGs uh, that aren't, aren't quote-unquote D&D in theme or setting? Do you guys, uh, you guys have any, like, I'm a, like, just, just to give you an example, and I know I've said this a few times on, on the podcast and on my show, that I'm not a big fantasy genre guy. Like, I, I like Lord of the Rings. It's not, like, my favorite movies of all time. They, if they're on TV, maybe I'll watch them, but. You know, if there's Star Wars on, yeah, I'm going to stop and watch it. In fact, I caught myself watching episode one the other night. Uh, I was just scrolling through the channels, and episodes one's probably the worst. I did the same thing. One of the worst uh, Star Wars movies that was put out uh, for the prequel trilogy. But, you know, I still stopped and watched it because it's Star Wars, and I love Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. I did the same thing, dude. I was scrolling through the channels that it was on. And I was like, "Oh, I'm stopping here." <laughs> are there any games? Uh, are there any games that you would suggest for uh, certain genres that uh, folks uh, that folks might 
be able to pick up and play and and uh, dip their toes into this hobby with uh, if they're not fans of the whole uh, fantasy setting? You know what? Everything I play is fantasy. Everything. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just it, ultimately that's what it's so, like when you said, you know, Lord of the Rings aren't your favorite movies. In like, I was about to hang up. Um, and like, I actually didn't watch. I literally blocked that part out of my mind. I because <laughs> Return of the King, by my estimation, is the best piece of cinema in history. Um, but and honestly, Star Wars, I didn't actually watch any of them until 2015. What was the? Now I want to hang up. Wait, hold on though. I, I so I'll tell you the story if you want, but just I I fixed it. Um, the 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 abridged version is my parents had no interest. I lived eighty, so it was a really awkward time, right? My parents didn't really care, and then when I moved to a place where I had access to these things, it was nineteen ninety two which was right in the middle of Star Trek, the next generation, or like in the beginning of it. And that's when you had to choose a side, right? Like you had to pick one and I picked Star Trek. Okay. And so I, and it lasted where I was just like, I just decided that Star Wars sucked and I knew enough about it to be able to like win the nerd fights in the very, very small nerd pool that I was in. <laughs> and then I started LARPing and I joined Facebook and all the LARPers started being on my Facebook wall and I tried to roll with them and they like knew that I was crap. And so then I just stopped talking about it. Um, but then Disney bought Star Wars and said they were making these new movies and I had kids. And I was like, no, I mean, I, I know that when the episode, what, it, was it seven? Seven? Mm-hmm. When episode seven comes out, I'm going to have a 10-year-old or like a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. Like, I'm going to need, the marketing lasers are going to be pointed square at their foreheads I need to be able to say like who Yoda is definitively, right? So like I went and watched all the movies, all six of them in one day on uh, Star Wars Day, whatever the first Star Wars Day was after they made that. Right. And now right. I've seen everything and I totally get it and they're fine. They're just not Return of the King. <laughs> now, now, have you gone and watched like the Clone Wars and uh, I've started, Rebels? It's just... I've started, and I'm sure that they are great. There's just that's just a lot of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That I don't have. Yeah. Um, I hear you. you. Know, t- I two hear jobs, you. three kids, one wife. I don't have enough time to keep up on like regular shows. I let hear alone, you. Like, but I'm sure they're wonderful, and I'm glad <laughs> that they make you happy. I'm sure they're great. Um, objectively, it's just I can't. Yeah. Watch, no. watch Rebels. Watch Rebels. It's really. I'm, good. I, you know what? I, I probably will eventually start and I, ha- I mean they're gonna all end up, i'm sure they're gonna all end up on disney plus so yep. eventually yep. so i'm sure i'll watch them then um it's just i'm i'm terrible at keeping up on television yeah and i'm already like staring down that disney plus thing and i'm like oh my god i'm so screwed so yeah. oh, i'm you. just i get intimidated when a show has a million seasons mm-hmm. so but i'll get there i'll get there i'm very happy for all you star wars guys <laughs> very happy for you um i'll catch up eventually well you have got uh you've got amazon with the lord of the rings the, the, the right. aren't they uh making a whole bunch of uh sh- series for yes. uh, for amazon they, yeah they are and they're yeah, sure i'll believe it you know what i'll believe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. i mean i'm gonna watch it right but like i am normally i'm an uncontrollable hype monster 
That's right. my whole bit, right? Is that I get excited about everything. The thing yep. is, Amazon is Amazon. And while I know that they've done, that's doing really great. Like Lord of the Rings is one of those things, you know, like it, it could be amazing. Or I think all four of us can agree. It could also be fantastically bad. Oh, absolutely. And um, it will, like there's no middle down. ground. It won't, it exactly. won't be mediocre. It will either be epic or absolutely unwatchable. Exactly. And so because of that, I am waiting until I see a trailer. Like everything sounds cool, right? Like they're spending a lot of money. They've got the budget. They're trying to be, you know, they're, they're not trying to recreate the movies. They're doing stuff that hasn't really been published before. Like, all that sounds great to me. I love it. Show me a trailer. <laughs> give me a, yep. give me a tease. Let me see what the camera work is going to look like. Give me anything. And then I'll be in on, like the four of you, like the three of you rather, you'll all hear me from my desk. But until then, I'll just be excited. But I, you know, every, it, with that said, back to the original topic, um, I did buy the Starfinder books. And I thought, I think Starfinder is really cool for a, a, a sci-fi thing. I mean, I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's done really well for uh, Paizo and and uh, I think a lot of the second edition Pathfinder uh, is based on a lot of the, the tweaks that they've made for Starfinder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But a lot uh, of the rules tweaks are, are direct lifts from Starfinders. Are they really? Okay, good. I haven't uh, I haven't sat down and, and read the second edition of Pathfinder to be honest with you. So um, I like Starfinder. My only problem is no one that I know wants to play. Yeah, uh, when it first when released, you, it was Starfinder really. Table, everybody's like, "This Pathfinder, like, come on, why, why are we playing this? Why let's play Pathfinder." I, I, I think. Thing, yeah, go ahead. The, the th- I think the thing that will be um, uh, the thing that attracted my kids to it. You know, I'm writing. You know, running like a two person campaign for them. Um, you know, it, the thing that got my ten year old, and I think that that makes starfinder a little bit more appealing is that pop culture is um like it would be like the deep magic like it would be the old lore um and so like it gives them that opportunity to kind of bring in what they know and especially for like younger kids that's cool like my they've designed their characters already my 10 year old made an esports star so (laughs) that's a cool idea you know so, you know, he made a guy who that that's his whole shtick. He's an esports star and my oldest son is his bodyguard and they're oh, off awesome. doing their thing. And so and the, the rules not only allow that because, you know, try I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but he did it. And so he's an esports star and you can't do that. There's no analog to that in a like a fantasy setting. Right. So, um I think that that's kind of cool like that far future um, that's the advantage to like hard sci-fi compared to like cyberpunk is a cyberpunk is innately kind of dark. Mm-hmm. Whereas far future is like, whatever, man, you spaceships and laser guns. Like yeah, it can, it can be whatever you want. It to exactly. Be dark, yeah. Light, yeah. You can make it Buck Rogers if you want, where it's all shiny and clean and everyone's wearing a jumpsuit. Yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of cool, but I can understand. Um, I think if you're if you're encountering somebody that's just really resistant to the fantasy genre, I think just you know I, I think there are plenty of um, 
you know, non-mechanics heavy storytelling that, you know, like fiasco and stuff like that, where you Mm -hmm. could kind of, you know, just whatever, man, like, let's just be gumshoe, tell stories. Um, Every time I go to PAX, there's like, there's just one guy that has a table with like these little hundred page books that are standalone storytelling. So it's just like, let's pick a genre. Be a bunch of schoolgirls in a Japanese high school. Let's do this. You know, like, oh yeah, why not? Like, if you're gonna, if just go. Yeah, the whole powered by the apocalypse system is basically that. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of a weird name for the system to be honest with you at this point because there's so many plugins for that game that are for every genre you can possibly mm-hmm. think of. Yep. Yep. Yeah, did you guys see the Command Droids Kickstarter? I did see What's that, yeah. I know uh, one of the guys that I LARP with um, is one of the co-designers. Um, he's nice. done some of the writing for Um First off, I'm absolutely astonished that they didn't get a cease and desist based on their Kickstarter video because, like, whoa. Yeah. Um, it's just a – but uh, I didn't want to say anything to him because, like, you know, he's real excited about his campaign. Um. But that is more or less Transformers, Mask, uh, Robotech, and you know if it's a and Voltron all in one yeah. tabletop system. It's '80s cartoon tabletop role play. Yeah, I'm kind of cool with that. I'm, I mean, I'm Absolutely. looking to get my PDF copy of it when when the time comes, and you know, at the very least, looking through it. Their their uh, creation rules for creating Transformers, um. Like, dude, I just wish Hasbro would just license it. Right? Like, just just make it. I would play... I would 100% play a Transformers, like, on Cybertron tabletop role-playing game. Yep. Without even a thought. Preach. Um, and, you know, exactly. So, I don't know. I, I think that has the potential to be kind of neat. But I still am stunned that they were allowed to continue that yeah. campaign. Yeah, like, I was too, to be honest with you. But, I mean, sure. Whatever, guys. Do you do you? Uh, I will gladly take the product because as long as it shows up at my house, I don't know really care what happens to them afterwards. <laughs> like that's kind of harsh, but like whatever. Yeah, I, uh, I think I think that the whole Transformers IP has so much potential for tabletop and role playing games. Like I am super, super like surprised. That, uh, that 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 we don't see more game. I mean, I know they just came out with the the trading card game, but I'm surprised we don't see like a miniatures board game. I'm surprised we don't see an RPG. Like, what? come on, Hasbro, you need. Where is to... this coming from? I had no idea that you like Transformers. I I know I mentioned Transformers every single episode, and I apologize to all the listeners because this is not the Transformers (laughs) podcast. But I am so glad that know it to listen to Doug. If I'm on here, it's a Transformers podcast. Absolutely. I think. I mean, there's a there's a fair number of IP that lend themselves to it, but there's Transformers has the advantage of really, really, really stupid. Right. in all the right ways um, to allow for this kind of thing. Um, I mean, we could make an entire episode where we could theory craft on Transformers crap, and I'm sure we would bore the heck out of some people, and some people would just not stop um, <laughs> and would listen to it on repeat for a day. Um, but the, the fact that Hasbro owns Wizards of the Coast and right. has that license, um, uh, the thing that I... The only 
property they own that I think it is for an official tabletop role-playing game is the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, because Hasbro owns them, and I was at their the the Hasbro booth, or not their booth, like their behind-closed-doors tour at Toy Fair this year, mm-hmm. and the, the amount of reverence and care they are giving to that property is is amazing as someone who's been a fan since i was like 13 right like because i like giant robots Mm -hmm. um and the it's again incredibly stupid um but you could just make whatever like i could just absolutely imagine them like all right so you guys are gonna make your own power rangers team and you're gonna fight monsters and you're gonna go on like it the adventures write themselves Sure. And the fact that it eventually culminates in the five of you working together to form a giant robot and mm-hmm. fight another like it just writes itself. I, I, I am stunned that it hasn't happened yet. Um I'm sure it's happened like in some indie thing. Um but the but the fact that it's not official yet. And you know, in the Discord, we got some, you know, <laughs> Uh, Doug, are you upset every time I say that it's stupid? <laughs> okay, I can practically hear him wince. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 I agree a hundred percent with, especially with G one uh, Transformers. Um, I'm not a big Power Rangers fan. I'm, I'll, I'll tell folks that right away. It was kind of before. Uh, I was kind of before that time. So, um, so I don't have a whole lot of nostalgia for for Power Rangers. But I know that there's a there's huge fandoms out there and. Yeah, that part of the charm of of Power Rangers is that it's kind of you know hokey and and uh, uh, it's really and, really dumb. Yeah, it's really kind of dumb. It's really dumb. So, but that's what part of the charm is about that IP, and it's the same thing with the the Transformers RP, uh, the, the the Transformers G one uh, IP. I mean, we all know early on that the Transformers G one cartoon was basically a twenty what three minute toy commercial like oh, more yeah. than anything else yeah. i mean the so first season of that show was to sell toys right exactly I, yeah and then the entire reason they made a movie is so that they could have an excuse to sell different yeah. toys exactly like, i am a huge transformers fan my wife is in, on the other side of the room like you know she knows that i have that that i will never say anything bad about them so when i say they are stupid i mean that they are stupid in absolutely the best way. Right, right. In that, you know, like this is, I do not turn to Transformers for thoughtful commentary. Like I turn to Transformers because I want to see like cool things turn into other cool things and shoot them. Right, um, right. And or, and or punch them because there is punching. There is punching, um, absolutely. And I mean, it's just, it's absurd. I mean, just think about jazz for a minute you know just think about jazz and how stupid everything about him is but he's amazing and i w- would literally buy every of one of his toys if i could afford it. absolutely you know so anyway <laughs> enough about transformers um although someone should make a transformers role-playing game they other should. than the command droids thing like, even though i'm gonna buy that hasbro uh if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> please uh this is free Free yeah. advice from the two of us. You got at least you're starting with two sales. Please, please uh, tap both of us as consultants for this project. Um, I know that this podcast is big enough that Hasbro is listening to this at this point. 
you know, I, we've gotten that level of, uh, of exposure with this podcast. So, you know, I think I, we're water cooler talk for them now. I think, I think basically they have us on the company, uh, sound system. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't think that at all, but we're the Hasbro you're... hold music when you're on hold with Hasbro for like three and a half hours trying to get to their customers. I mean, we talk about transformers <laughs> enough. We probably kid. should be. What Hashtag that, sponsored, not sponsored. <laughs> Oh man! So somehow we totally went off the rails uh, about uh, introducing folks to RPGs. What do you mean somehow? We always somehow. Do <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think there are a lot of a lot of games out there that, uh, especially role playing games, that are rules light that uh, that uh, just tap into so many different genres. And all you just have to do is find out what that, what that person is is kind of into and and what you know maybe what some of their favorite tv shows are what some some of their favorite movies are that's what i was gonna say what's your favorite tv show you want to play that we can play that yeah and you'll have like kids saying oh dear lord ah yes please (laughs) yeah and that kind of goes back to what uh, steven was saying earlier uh with kids is finding out uh, some kind of connection uh to keep their uh their attention you know and, and them interested in 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 playing so yeah absolutely all right i think that's gonna probably do it for this episode steven where can folks uh folks want to know more about engaged family gaming where should they go okay so the rigmarole is as follows the the website is engagedfamilygaming.com um we are most active on facebook so you can go to facebook.com slash engagedfamilygaming we have a podcast like this one uh, that comes out weekly. We alternate by covering video games and board games. Nice. Um, next week, uh, this coming week, is uh, board games. My uh, co-host, Amanda, the Princess of Power, will be coming back from PAX West. Um, and so she'll be telling us all about that uh, voyage. Um, I also do a podcast every uh, three times a week called the EFG Daily Commute. I literally record a podcast in my car, hands-free. Don't worry. I'm not breaking any laws. Um, and... Um, the pod, it's worth mentioning, Ben, I think you've actually been on my podcast. Yeah. I interviewed you at a pre-release, or not a pre-release, at the Vermont State Was that you? That, that was indeed me. Yes, indeed. So, it, it's, it just, I, it occurred to me while we were talking, definitely. Um, and also you, it clued me in cause you were talking about quarter staff anyway. Um, so those are the best places, but generally if you go to a social media network and just type in engage family gaming, you'll find me. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the chaotic good cast. It was chaotic, but it was so good. I want to thank my fellow casters for joining me tonight. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next week. how i did that right there i just kind of just just really just kind of made it really short and sweet not yet nice and simple so yeah. you have less chances so then i can just uh, then i won't have to like mess it up it's good it's good where's our where's our pants song parody ben where, where i'm on vacation i don't i don't do pants parodies i like my pants and i cannot lie and i'll finish this up next Oh man. <laughs> I was so excited for that. You dropped that like 
the first couple you lines. About, like the sisterhood of traveling pants there. I've been trying to write one all episode and nothing is working. It's really wow. bad. It's yeah. I'll, 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 I've got a few. I've got a few things in the works that I need a little, little help with. I'll get that from my wife and we'll have another great one like last week. 